some form or some fashion, they are reaching out to God. It's often those that have already received the grace of God, that have already received the blessings of God in their life, that they become a hindrance or an obstacle to someone coming to know God. It happens quite a bit, and we're going to see that in our text today. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, if you want to follow along in the story of blind Bartimaeus. In the beginning of the chapter, we actually, I actually preached from it two weeks ago, but in the beginning of chapter 10, we see Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God belongs to children, to children such as these. And though the disciples try to shoo the children away from Jesus, says, no, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. This simple faith that is not simplistic, a simple faith of completely trusting in God and completely trusting in Christ, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And then Jesus encounters a rich man. In other Gospels it says a rich young ruler, but here in Mark's Gospel it says a, a rich man. And, and he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. He says, Teacher, I've done all. I've followed the commandments. I've followed the rules. And he says, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. And, and that was the obstacle for him. His wealth, his possessions. And he went away, as we talked about a few weeks ago, brokenhearted because he did not want to give up his possessions to follow Christ. He did not want to give up his possessions to follow Jesus. What follows that text is verses 32 through 34, where we see Jesus predicts his death. So now keep in mind, his disciples have been with him for almost three years now. They have seen him work miracles. They have seen him and heard him teach. And now they're watching him as he approaches his final week. For at the end of this chapter, we move into uh, Holy Week. We'll see the, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And remember I said two weeks ago when we read that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem, that means that He's on His way to the cross. And in verses 32 through 34, we read that Jesus is preparing and telling His disciples what's going to happen to Him. We are going up to Jerusalem, He said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles who will kill, mock him, and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. I think Pastor Aaron did a great job a few weeks ago when he spoke. I just want to give God praise for the wonderful chapel speakers we've had. But as Pastor Aaron spoke, he talked about and really unpackaged for us and gave us different texts to look at and think about how, how Jesus has paid the penalty for sin on our behalf. The sin that was ours, he bore and took upon him. And we know that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Aaron unpackaged it and went through several texts. And it is by the grace of God that you have been saved through faith. And here, Jesus is getting ready to now make that sacrifice. So we need to keep that in mind. What, what must be going in through his heart and his mind? What must he be feeling as he's approaching the cross, really just a week away from it, to die for you and for me so that we might find freedom in Christ and be forgiven for our sins and be made and have a right relationship with God? What must he be feeling? As he says, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be handed over. I'll be mocked and spit on, flogged and killed. And then James and John respond with this. 34, then 35, then James and John, the sons of Debedee, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So Jesus just said he's going to be killed shortly. They've been with him three years, and they want power. 
They want prestige and recognition. And let's not just throw James and John under the bus. The other disciples were upset at James and John that they got to Jesus first with that request. They said, let us sit on your left and your right in your coming kingdom. They're still not getting it yet. But to sit on the left or right of the host is a place of power and place of prestige. And so do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus asks this very important question. It's a critical question in this chapter. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I just can't help but think this was breaking the heart of Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus goes on and speaks in, in 40, uh, 42 and 43. We read Jesus quoting, Jesus saying, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. So if you want to be first in the economy of God's kingdom, you must become the lowest possible place. You must be a slave to all. If you want to be a follower of mine, you must take the lowest place. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. See, our text that I'm going to read in a moment or quote in a moment is about a blind man named Bartimaeus, but it is his disciples and followers that cannot see. It is his disciples and followers that need to have their eyes open to what it means to be a follower of Christ. It is a powerful chapter, and this is the last, uh, this is the last healing that Jesus will do before he, he enters Jerusalem and, and goes to the cross. Then they came to the city of Jericho. And Jesus, together with his disciples and a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out to Jesus. He's crying out for healing. He's crying out for holy. And Jesus' followers, his closest disciples were there. And though there were a large crowd going to Jerusalem, not necessarily all were following Jesus for it was Passover. So we know a large number were going for Passover. So here is this man sitting by the side of the road, crying out to Jesus, Son of David, a title of Messiah, that he is the Messiah, have mercy on me. And many in their crowd rebuke him and tell him to be quiet. But he cries all the more. He shouts even louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stops and says, call him. So they call to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. He's calling you. It's kind of interesting how their tone, even in the text, you see how their tone changes. At first they're dismissing him and forgetting about him and Jesus does not have time for you, but the moment Jesus recognizes him, like, hey, cheer up. Everything's going to be all right. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside and jumping to his feet, he came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He asked his disciples that question just a, a few verses earlier. And they wanted power. And they wanted prestige. And this blind man that everyone is dismissing, walking by on their way to Jerusalem for religious, uh, for religious days, he asked Jesus that he might see. Yes, 
Bartimaeus was blind, but I would like to suggest it was the disciples and his followers that could not see and understand. What do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and began to follow Jesus along the road. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ has been spoken and heard. Apply it to our hearts and lives that we might be forever changed. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. So we know that Jesus picked up followers along the way, and as I've already said, there was already a large crowd going to Jerusalem for the Holy Days, for Passover. But we also know that followers were gaining, because how did Bartimaeus hear about Jesus from Nazareth? He had to hear the stories, the popularity of Jesus is growing, and that he is a healer, and that he's quite possibly the Messiah, though there was still a misunderstanding of what that meant and what his coming kingdom would look like. But his followers were growing. It was a good time to be a follower of Jesus. But a few days from now, it wouldn't be some good days to be following Jesus. Some challenges would come and followers and disciples would flee. Many rebuked Bartimaeus and tried to keep him quiet. And if you think back on your own spiritual journey, if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've seen this. And and I would encourage you to reflect on your own life before you look to a church and see how they have failed. I would encourage you to look to your own life and see if you have failed in this area, and to see if you've ever been a hindrance to someone calling out or crying out to Jesus. We have a loving, caring church, you may say, but is everyone truly welcome in your church? Would you truly welcome them? Do you know that the grace of God may have been shed abroad in your heart and in your life, but if someone that was poor, that was sitting by the roadside, that smelled, that was filthy, that was from another cultural or ethnic background, if they came into your church or to your home, would you welcome them? When I was uh, visiting a church I grew up in, I uh, was reminded of a moment in that sanctuary when I was a child. And I was preaching at Rock Hill Church of the Nazarene. I was very young when we lived there before we moved to uh, Long Island and lived there for a few years. And I was reminded as I was worshiping in that sanctuary of the lives of the people that were there, and many now far from God. And I also remember as a child, I was young, I want to give myself some grace, of people that I dismissed, of people I didn't even, I didn't even pay attention to. And I, I don't know why, I, don't, I know my parents would never have said anything bad about these people, uh, the people that were in this congregation. I, I know I don't think I ever heard anything negative, maybe some jokes, but there was a, a Jamaican woman there who, who was caring for some severely handicapped adults. And they were there every Sunday. They had a big blue station wagon, I remember. You probably don't remember these station wagons, but they used to have a thing where you could fold the seat up in the back and you'd be facing out backwards. And they'd come in one of those. She'd pile them all in and they'd come and worship. And some of them wouldn't stand at all during the service. They would just sit there and worship. And I, I just didn't pay attention to them as a child. And as I was worshiping in the sanctuary, I was reminded of that, that family. I mean, she wasn't there. She wasn't, you know related to them by blood, but they were family, and she loved them and cared for them. And they'd always sit together. And there was one man who didn't speak much. In fact, any time I heard a conversation someone had with him, he spelled all his words and uh, didn't speak much. 
But in the entire service, he would do something that maybe I even chuckled at and others chuckled at and dismissed. He'd hold a picture of Jesus through the entire service. He would not stand or sing. He would sit quietly and just look at this picture of Jesus and weep. Every Sunday. And as a small child, and again, I don't think it was taught or anyone ever said anything about it, but I, I realized that I could have learned more from him. Because as I thought of the other people and youth worker, or youth and teenagers that were in the church that used to make fun of him or make fun of those adults that were sitting there, they're no longer in the church. I realized I should have kept my eyes on him because he did always keep his eyes on Jesus. But we can quickly and easily dismiss others because they are so different than us. Or whether, as the video highlighted, and I'm sure you noticed the president, the president of the United States and, and uh, the, the other guy running for president, uh, the grace of God has shed abroad across political lines as well. Many rebuked Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet, and I think we've been guilty of that in our own personal lives and many in the church. But he shouted all the more. Shouted all the more. Have mercy on me. And Jesus hears the cry. This is some good news here so that even though maybe we have made mistakes in the church and though even maybe sometimes we have created obstacles not realizing we're doing it, but just because of out of our own sin and our own selfishness and our own judgmental spirit, maybe we've made obstacles for people to come to Jesus. Jesus hears the cries of people's hearts. And He heard this man's cry. We see it again actually in chapter 12 if further into the week of, of Mark where we see this widow giving an offering and 12.44 says... This woman gave out, others gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, putting in everything she had to live on. So no one else noticed this poor widow's offering and dismissed it. She didn't even notice. Jesus noticed it. But God recognizes when people call on Him. God recognizes it when people make sacrifices for Him, though so often we miss that and create obstacles. After a homecoming chapel, I had an alumni, come, an alum come up to me and and asked me about one of the songs that we sang in chapel, and I appreciated the spirit in which she came up and talked to me. Now, others have come up and talked to me or dropped me email bombs, I call them, just email bombs and just uh, tear into me on why would you sing that song or how dare you preach like that or use that illustration. And uh, I, don't, I don't think it happens often, and, and most of those emails come from my wife, so I'm okay. But uh, uh, they happen from time to time. But I appreciated the spirit of this alum who came up to me and, and talked about the Chasing After You song. She's like, you know, I, I, that song made me uncomfortable, Chasing After You. We don't have to, we don't have to chase after God. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to chase after God. God is there for us. God, Jesus died on the cross for us so that we might have a relationship with God. And, and she was absolutely right, and I agreed with her. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know the writer of the song, but I do know there are times in our faith where we must fight for our faith. There are times when we must fight through the doubts and the discouragement. And it may seem like Jesus is not present and we're trying to catch up to Him, but it is a season where God is shaping and molding us for a purpose and for a reason. It is not that God has left us or abandoned us, and it is that God is challenging us to a deeper level of discipleship. And sometimes I would suggest that it does feel like a chasing after God. 
Or that He's called you to do something and you're like, God, I can't keep up with what you're expecting me to do. I can't keep up with what you're calling me to do. And you feel like it is a chasing after God. And I want to let you know it's not chasing after you in that He's leaving you. It is chasing after God because He has a better plan for your life that He wants you to live up to. So there are those seasons where we feel like it is a chasing or our, our faith is shaking. And, and we've heard that. We've heard those stories. You didn't... I'm glad that you got to hear from Stephanie London and she didn't even share a whole portion of her story. It's a beautiful, beautiful testimony and her theology behind she shared at the CRJ event with Dr. Severson and, and closing, one, someone asked her, why do you focus so much on wedding dresses? And, and she says, guys don't understand this, but the, the, the women here will understand. And she talks about how Scripture talks about how the Bible talks about the church is the bride of Christ and God will be coming back for His bride. And as I prepare every wedding dress, as I design every wedding dress for a bride, I think of the fact that God will be returning for His bride. And this is a symbol, a picture, my art being made into this dress to depict and glorify the fact that God will be returning for His bride. That's a powerful statement. And you heard in her story that her healing didn't happen immediately. She did not fall five stories and then just walk, get up and walk away. There was a very, very long healing process. Very long healing process. It would have been nice if it was in a moment and in an instant and we would have given God praise. But she still gave God praise that she was healed in a journey. She still gave God praise that though it was a long journey, she found healing. If you had a chance to talk to her, you'll notice some scarring on her face and you'll notice the, the retina is gone in her eye and you'll see some scars. But when she was here a few years ago, she walked with a very, uh, pretty severe limp. And uh, for obviously an injury from the fall and a few years ago, maybe it was two or three years ago, she was at a prayer meeting at a church called IHOP, uh, International House of Prayer, not International House of Pancakes. And as she was there, there was a healing service. And she, she, she won't talk about this much. And not that she's keeping it quiet, she just doesn't want to come across wrong, and she's just, she's just a humble young woman, is, is what she is. But I saw a video that a friend of hers posted on, a website, on her website, on her Facebook page, because uh, they heard about all these healings taking place at this church, and one of the Christian networks sent a camera crew, and they interviewed Stephanie. And as I'm watching this video, I'm hearing about these healings. I'm like, yeah, I believe Jesus heals. And then I'm hearing these incredible healings. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know I'm supposed to believe. But I'm kind of doubting in my heart. And then Stephanie comes on the screen, and she talks about, she just briefly, she says, I had a major injury a few years ago. And my hip has not been the same and I limp and I've been walking in pain, but in this service tonight I felt a popping taking place in my hip. I felt a popping and a shifting taking place. And I haven't lived since. And I won't say that I fully... It's not that I doubted her, but we visit with Stephanie because she lives in Wichita where Edie's parents live. And I need to tell you, I had in my mind, I'm going to see if Stephanie's limping. And she was healed. God can heal in a moment, even our physical ailments. But sometimes, often, He heals in the journey. And it feels like it is this chasing after, this crying out, have mercy on me, and people are rebuking you and saying, don't bother Jesus, don't bother having faith, don't bother reaching out to God for healing and wholeness. It's not going to matter. I want to encourage you today. Shout all the louder like Bartimaeus did. Son of David, have mercy on me. Heal me. Restore me. Larry Kim, Pastor Larry Kim, as he spoke, and they found out just, what, six or eight weeks into his wife's pregnancy that the child would not live more than a few, few hours, they thought. And we know that as he shared the story, this, can you imagine those nine months? 
knowing that your child would live but a few hours? Where's the healing, God? Where's the healing touch, Lord? And I'm sure they cried out. He talked about how they cried out. He talked about how he went into the doctor's office. We saw you on TV. We know you can do... We heard all about that, and God still did not heal. But there was something in that journey. There was something in that journey that Pastor Kim spoke about that God was with him every step of the way. I don't want you to forget these stories or these testimonies of people that have stood before you to worship you and have had seasons of their life where they've had to chase after God, it almost feels like, or shout all the louder because no one's listening or people are rebuking them. Hear their stories and see how God is at work in their life, even when things don't get corrected or healed in a moment. The crowd turns to the blind man and says, Cheer up, he's calling you, and he throws aside his garment, he throws aside his cloak, jumps to his feet and comes to Jesus. And I'm sure there have been moments in many of your lives where, where you did just that, you threw off the sin that so easily entangled you. You jumped to your feet and maybe you came to an altar and prayed to receive Christ or maybe you did it in your home or maybe in, in joining the membership of your church. You, you had that moment where you came to Jesus. And maybe you haven't yet. And I, and I pray that you do. Today would be a great day to do that where you, you throw off the cloak, you throw off the sin that so easily entangle you. You jump to your feet and you come to Jesus to receive healing and wholeness and a new life and a new start. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son for you. That's what the John 3.16, I know you've seen it at sports games, but it, it confirms and testifies to the fact this is where Jesus is going. Jesus is going to the cross because of God's love for you. And He threw off His cloak. And it, it, it appears that He left it there. And I just wonder as we move through the text and go into chapter 11, it's where Jesus enters Jerusalem and you know people are throwing down, uh, are crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and they're throwing down palm branches and they're throwing down their cloaks as the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem. Well, we know that Bartimaeus didn't throw down his cloak because he left his back, back at the healing. But I wonder how far he followed. I just wonder how far Bartimaeus followed because by the time Jesus gets to the end of this week, which is several chapters in the Gospel of Mark, by the time that Jesus gets to the end of the week and gets to the cross, all those followers along the roadside, those disciples that have been with him for three years, all of them will flee. When things are going well and it's popular to be a follower of Jesus, or you're surrounded by other followers to enter a time of religious days or worship. It's okay, but when the trials and the persecutions come that Jesus warned about, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death, hand Him over to the Gentiles, mock, kill, spit, flog Him, kill Him. Three days later, He will rise. So how far are you willing to follow? How far are you willing to follow? Maybe you've had that experience in your life where you have thrown off the cloak, you've jumped to your feet and you've followed Jesus, but how far are you willing to follow? I appreciated the song selection today by the team. All, of them, all the songs seemed about this complete surrender to follow Jesus. So in closing, I want to ask this question. What do you want Him to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you want to be like James and John? I want power, Lord. 
I'll be a follower, but only if I have power and recognition and praise. Then I will follow Jesus. Will you be like the rich man we read about two weeks ago? I will be a follower if I can hold on to my wealth. If I can hold on to my possessions. If I can hold on to all those things I've earned. If I can hold on to that, I want to hold on to that, then I will follow you. So what do you want Jesus to do for you? My prayer is that you, that I, that we will always respond. Jesus, Son of David, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see the areas of my life that don't glorify you. I want to see those so I can lay them down. I want to see those areas of my life where I have hatred possibly for another person because of their political party or their ethnic background or because they're from a different neighborhood or community. I want to see that, Lord, so I can lay that down. I want to see, Lord. I want to see if I have a spirit that is destructive to this community. I want to see, Lord, if I have a spirit that is destructive to my church community. I want to see, Lord, if I've been... And I want to hear, I guess, if I've been gossiping or talking about another that is causing destruction and breaking down community. I want to see, Lord. I want to see if I'm living my life in a way that's preventing or, or making it more difficult for someone to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I want to see. It's a wonderful passage to preach from in a community like this because I know we are all in different places on our journey, but Jesus still asked a question I've discovered throughout our journey. What do you want me to do for you? And my heart's prayer and desire is that, Lord, just I always want to see. Show me, Lord. Show me if there's anything in my life that is not glorifying you. If there's anything in my life that is causing destruction in my marriage, in my home, in this community, I want to see that so I can lay that down. If there's anything in my life that does not glorify you, I want to see And if you can answer that question in that way, Jesus will tell you this. Go. Go. Your faith has healed you. Now go. You have freely received. You have freely received. Now go. And freely give. Now go and freely give. I'm going to close in prayer and, and dismiss everyone. And as I, we promised last week, Jenny and I are always going to be available after chapel for prayer. And on Wednesdays, we'll be available if someone needs to be anointed and wants to be anointed with oil, whether for healing. And I failed to mention it last week, you can also can come forward if you want to be anointed for someone else that may not be able to be here today. So let us pray. On behalf of this community, Lord, I I believe it's okay for me to pray this. On behalf of this community, we want to see. Open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to those that have been cast aside by the roadside that maybe we've walked by and dismissed. Open our hearts and minds and our eyes and our ears to the cries of the poor and the needy and any injustices in the world and any pain or suffering that even we have caused, open our eyes to that. May we lay it down and then go and respond to it. Not just receive, but now may we give back. May we be agents of the kingdom of God. May you work through us in our hands and feet and words. Work through us, Lord, we pray, for your honor and your glory. We have freely received. Now may we go and freely give. 
We pray these things now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen.